All right. So who remembers what we covered last week? If I had to call on somebody, who remembers who remembers what we covered last week? What if if you could if you could summarize into maybe one phrase, one sentence what the the thrust of last week was? Who's brave enough to speak up? Apor, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> these are the these are guys from the the um, Apor program. I'm sorry. That there is a God. Yes, that, that, that would summarize that there is a God. And knowing that there is a God, what does that do? It creates, it gives you a Christian or a biblical worldview. You, 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 now you have a worldview that you see the world completely different. So if, you could, if, if I would summarize what the, the heart of last week was, it would be that, that, that that's the place, the, having a biblical worldview, a God-centered worldview. What's up, Greg? How you doing, Greg? Hey, you can, you can grab a book, a book right there. Um, having a God-centered biblical worldview is, is and will, it will shape the whole of your life. It will shape how you view marriage, how you view raising your kids, how you view uh, kids in general as a blessing. It just changes your whole, your whole look on life, having a God-centered worldview. Now, g- getting into the second lesson, um, if I was talking to somebody who was not a, a Christian, and I would tell them, you know, it's important for you to have a God-centered worldview, to recognize that God is real, to, to, to know and to see that because of creation, because, it, because it's obvious that there's a God, as it says in the book of Psalms, only a fool would say in his heart there is no God. Because of that understanding, that if you get to the place where you believe there is a God, that it's not enough just to believe that there is a God. Because according to Scripture, there is only... One, one God. In First Timothy, First Timothy chapter two, on Wednesday night, we, we covered, uh, verses one through seven, and it says that there is only one God, and, and only one mediator between that God, the man Christ Jesus. And so, the, the message on Wednesday, I, I kind of focused on, why do we pray for the lost? Why do we pray for the lost? Well, we pray for the lost because God, because Jesus commissioned us in Matthew 28 to go ye into all the world, preach the gospel unto all nations, making disciples of all nations. And so we pray for the lost because God has commanded us to do that. But one of my second points was uh, on Wednesday that we pray for the lost, those that don't know Jesus, because there is only one God. If there was more multiple gods and, and you could just serve whatever God you wanted to and it didn't matter what God you served, then there would be no point for us to, pro- to proclaim the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But because there is only one God, when you have a God-centered worldview, if you're an, an unbeliever and you come to the realization, yes, there's a God, I'm not going to ignore the evidence all around me that there is a God, that's still not, it's still not enough. You know, Scripture says that the demons believe in God, and they tremble. And that's not enough for them. There has to be a transition from a belief in a God to placing faith in Jesus Christ as, as God in the flesh who took your place on the cross. And so that, there's two different words to, to describe what I'm talking of. The first one would be general revelation. General revelation. And that's the general revelation that there's a God. And anybody can come to that revelation if they, if they look at creation. If, 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 they, if they open their eyes to see, they can see that. And then second, the, the, the second term would be special. 
So you go from general revelation to a revelation that is special, that is pinpointed on Jesus Christ. And that revelation of Jesus Christ, that comes through faith. God, that, that, that's a gift of God for your eyes to be open to see the special revelation of Jesus Christ. That comes through pre- the preaching of the gospel. No man comes through to salvation unless the gospel is preached to them. Whether it's preached to them on a Sunday morning at a church like Living Word or some other church. Whether it's preached to you. Maybe some of you before you were Christian, it was somebody on your job. They preached the gospel to you. You know, you saw their life and you saw their life was a little different. They lived different. They didn't talk like you talked. They didn't curse like you talked, uh, cursed. They, they, they didn't live like you lived. And you thought, man, something's different about that person. Maybe you, you started questioning them and asking them, what is it about your life? And that friend preached the gospel to you. So however it happens, it has to be the gospel is preached and faith wells up in, in your heart. And you place your faith in Jesus Christ. So you go from general revelation to special revelation. And then you place your faith in God through Jesus Christ. And when you do that, the Bible says that you are justified. Now, for, for those of you who were at church on Wednesday night, I talked about justification. I talked about what it means to be justified. And so this, this what it means to be justified, justification is the central doctrine of the christian faith it is the central doctrine of the christian faith we as 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 protestants we are called protestants protestant christians um as a protestant christian it is central to our faith uh, uh this doctrine of justification and justification is a legal term it simply is a term that means that if you were guilty and you stood before a judge and and the judge says not guilty says that says that that you are innocent and free of all your charges then you would stand before that judge before the court before the state as justified you are no longer guilty and so a, another way to talk about the issue of justification would be to ask the question how can a man or a woman be right before a holy god how can they be justified be, before god you know god is holy and he's perfectly righteous how can you stand before him justified and not guilty. I mean, we know that we're infinitely guilty apart from Christ. We know that Scripture teaches that we cannot save ourselves. There's no, there's no amount of good works that we can do to earn a right standing before a holy God. We cannot be justified on our own merits. It's apart from good works. Ephesians chapter 2, if, as you read through Ephesians 2, it, it points that out very clearly, that, that, that being right with God is apart from good works because if it was if it was by good works then we could merit it then we would boast in it. And scripture says that we are right before God, justified before God apart from good works so that nobody can boast. It is the work of God to justify. The doctrine of justification this is in your notes is one of the primary foundations of the Christian faith. Without a proper understanding of justification How can a man be right before God? We can fall into the trap of believing wrongly about the source of our righteousness. The question over where our righteousness as believers come from was a foundational issue that changed the way we worship. We have we have to have a a lesson in church history to better understand why this issue of justification is so important. So, you know, I, I said the term a few minutes ago about Protestant. You know, Protestant would be. Christ, uh, the, all those that are Christians apart from uh, 
the, the Catholic Church. So in the beginning, there was just the Catholic Church. It was just, uh, you know, you had the, the early apostles who birthed the early church that you see in the, the book of Acts. And then it eventually became, the, the early church Christians eventually became the, what, what would be called the Catholic Church. And over the course of centuries, the, the Catholic Church began to create doctrines and belief systems that were contrary to what Scripture taught. And so, in the 1500s, a man named Martin Luther, who's ever heard of Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther. He was a German monk, and he was what would be called a very fastidious monk. That means that he was very committed to living and practicing the doctrines of the, of the Catholic faith. And so, he always felt like he had a guilty conscience. You know, there's this idea in the, in the Catholic faith, this, this doctrine that they have that's called this idea of the state of grace. Anybody ever heard of the state of grace? Anybody a former Catholic? The, the state of grace. I, I have a, a former boss uh, who came to my house to try to sell me some products that I used to sell with him. And, uh, and he, was, he quoted me the job. And then he, he knows I'm a Protestant. And I know he's a Catholic. And so he just, every time he talks to me, he wants to talk to me about his Catholic faith. And so he goes and he talks to me about how he was in the, he would go, he goes to confession in the morning. And he, and he says it like it's nonchalant, like it's kind of like known, it's a known thing. He says, I go to confession and then I'm in the state of grace all day until I sin. And so, and then I got to go to confession again to get back in the state of grace. And the picture of what he's trying to say there is that in between confessions, if I would sin or make a mistake and then I would die, then I have really no hope for my afterlife. Maybe I'll go to purgatory and have to suffer for those sins that I did that I got out of the state of grace for. But there's, a, there's not that sense of peace, that, that sense of justification and righteousness before God. There's a sense of I have to maintain that state of grace by making sure I go to confession. And so doctrines like that and many other are some of the doctrines that Martin Luther and other men like him rose up against and said, wait a minute, Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture doesn't teach purgatory. Scripture doesn't teach this idea of the state of grace. Scripture doesn't teach, and if you look in your notes here, it doesn't teach this idea of the institution of the papacy, the, the Pope as the head of the church. Who's the head of the church? Jesus is the head of the church. It doesn't teach this idea of the selling of indulgences. And, and this was, this was uh, the Catholic Church doesn't necessarily do this currently, but this, this issue, the, the number three point there, this issue of the selling of indulgences was, was something that would happen during Martin Luther's day. And this was one of the catalysts for him to say, wait a minute, this is not something that, that, that is right. I have to stand against this. I have to protest. That's where the word Protestant come, that's where the, what Protestant comes from. We protest against these things. And so the selling of indulgences was this idea. Uh, they, back in Martin Luther's day, the Roman Catholic Church was trying to build a new church building. Uh, St. Peter's Church, and so the Pope commissioned uh, one of the cardinals of, of, of his time to go and raise money. And one of the ways that would raise money for the church is they would tell people, if you will donate to the church, we will write this certificate of, in, of, of indulgence, and this certificate will be good to get out of purgatory your dead loved ones, get, a, get an early release of your loved ones that are in purgatory. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine if we did that today at Living Word? They'd run us out the door. 
you guys are smarter than that. You'd kick us out. <laughs> like, give me money so your dead loved ones can get out of a middle ground between heaven and hell. It wouldn't jive. And it didn't jive with guys like Martin Luther. And so that, that was a catalyst. And they wrote, Martin Luther wrote what was it's called his 95 Theses. And it was 95 complaints and arguments against the Roman Catholic Church. And it sparked the Great Reformation. Now, the, the embers had been burning long before Martin Luther nailed those 95 arguments on the, on the church door. But it began to birth a movement. And the fourth point there, it birthed a movement around the issue of justification by means other than Christ. So my earlier question was, how can a man be right before God? Is it by keeping the sacraments? Are we right by doing that? Is that how we become right with God? Is it by church attendance? Is it by praying the rosary? Is it by confessing to a priest? Confessing your sins and keeping yourself in that state of grace? Is that how we become righteous before God and justified before God? There's only one way to be justified before God. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. So what is justification? It is the act, as I've been saying, of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. For I am not ashamed, Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just... Those that are justified, they live by faith. They live by works. Those that are justified, they live by works. They live by, by being good. Is, is that how the just live? No, the just live by faith. The righteousness of God is, is revealed from faith to faith. So justification before God, that the, the, the position of being right before a holy God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from any good work that you could ever do. Any good work. The reading of this scripture in Romans opened Luther's eyes to how a believer is truly justified before God and declared righteous. Justification is a divine verdict of not guilty, fully righteous. It is the reversal of God's attitude towards, towards the sinner. Whereas he, he was formerly condemned, he now vindicates. Although the sinner once lived under God's wrath, as a believer, he or she is now under God's blessing. Justification is more than a simple pardon. Pardon alone would still leave the sinner without merit before God. So when God justifies, this is so important here, when God justifies, He imputes or He gives divine righteousness to the sinner. Did you guys follow me with that? God, when you are justified, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you see the general revelation, there is a God. You hear the special revelation of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached. And faith rises up in your heart. At that moment of that faith that you place in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are justified before God. And not only are you justified, then God gives you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And now you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I apologize for the example I'm about to give for all of you who are at church on Wednesday, but for the sake of those who were not at church on Wednesday, uh, I'm going to give the same example that I gave. So I'm going to ask Gage, if Gage would help me out. And then let me ask, let me ask uh, Heath, if Heath will come help me. Heath, Heath can be Jesus. I just picture Jesus being 
tall guy, and, you know, and, and, and Gage can be Hitler. You don't mind being Hitler? Sorry, Gage. Okay, so, so, so Jesus, you go on the other end of the room here, and Hitler, you go on the other end as far as you can go until we can see you. Okay, so this is an, an illustration of justification, what it means to be justified. So here's Jesus, infinitely holy, perfectly righteous without sin, holy God. We cannot, as a non-believer, I mean, I can't get anywhere close to him unless, unless I'm right with him, right? If I get anywhere close to him, I'm, I'm dead. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that, that, that we are dead. When we're not a Christian, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so that, that, that this picture of being a non-believer is that, that you, you have no standing before God. You have to be brought back to life spiritually before you can even come close to a holy God. And so you, you have Hitler over here. And people would categorize Hitler as the worst of the worst of sinners, right? He is just the lowest of the low. Every other sinner is a little is a notch or two closer to Jesus than Hitler would, would ever be, right? That's how people view him. But before you were a Christian, where would you place yourself in the pendulum between Hitler and Jesus? Where, where, where would we typically place ourselves? Would, would, would we place ourselves close to Hitler, right next to him? Where, where would we place ourselves? Right where I'm at, exactly. Right in the middle. I'm not, I'm not quite as good as Jesus. I'm not quite as good, but I'm not as bad as Hitler. I'm not anywhere near where Hitler is. Hitler is terrible. And so this is how, this is, this is what sinful humanity does apart from a revelation of Jesus Christ. We think we're basically good. We think we really don't need, I don't need, I don't need Jesus. I, I, I'm not going to get too close to him. I, I'm, I'm okay with this idea if Christians want to believe that there's a God and they want to believe in Jesus. That's pretty good. Uh, but I know I'm not that bad. So that means I, I don't really need Jesus. And so what we do is we look at our next door neighbor who is abusive to his wife or is maybe an, an alcoholic. And we, we look at all the bad people in our life and we compare ourselves to them. And what ends up happening is, is that we compare ourselves to the wrong standard. See, what we need to compare ourselves to, what we have to look at, we have to come to the place is to see that when we compare ourselves to, to, to God, to a holy God, where do we end up? We end up right over here. We are here. None of our good works, none of our not doing bad things, not being like my sinful neighbor, not being like the, the guy who complains at work all the time and backbites and gossips, not being like them doesn't get me a little bit away from Hitler, from the lowest of the low. It doesn't, it doesn't merit me anything that I'm, I'm right here. Now, now the depth of, of evil in Hitler's heart may have been a whole lot more developed than the depth of evil in my heart. We, we, none, none of us in here would ever do what Hitler did. Hitler's a bad dude. And so I'm not saying that, that we would do what Hitler did. The evil in his heart was birthed there from birth. And it developed through influences in his life. It got him to the point where he believed lies about the human race. And he did crazy things. And people with him did crazy, horrific things. But we're, when we see from the right perspective, we see that we're just like Hitler in the sense that we have no merit before a holy God. So what has to happen for us to be justified? What, what has to happen to take us from next to Hitler to next to Jesus? Do we start, start moving across towards God in our good, by, by our good works, by our, by our keeping the sacraments? 
by our church attendance, by our confessing our sins and staying in, in the state of grace? Is that what we do? We're, we're climbing our way up to God to try to be righteous and next to Him. It, it, but that's what, we, that's what we think we need to do before you're a Christian. Before you come to the revelation that it's not by good works, that's what we do. We crawl to God. And that's every, listen, that's every other false, that's every false religion. Every other religion other than Christianity gives you a works-based system of trying to claw your way up the hill, up the mountain to get to holy God. That's their system. Christianity is the only one that says you can't do it. You cannot do it on your own. It has to be a righteousness foreign to you that is given to you through faith. And so this is what happens. We don't crawl our way up. Jesus came down to us. So Jesus, come walk away. Come walk over this direction. Jesus comes, just like the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he starts making his journey towards, towards the father. But the picture of the father would be God. And what does it say that the father did? He ran towards the son. And that's what God did to us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he pursued his creation that was, that was separated for him from him by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And so this is what happens. You can come a little closer. This is not contradicting my example, but just for the sake of centralizing this. Um, to be justified means that whenever a sinful person places their faith in the work, in the pursuit of God on their behalf, by sending Jesus, when you by faith believe in what Jesus did, it says that God imputes Jesus' righteousness to you. So I can't do this, but if I could, if I could infuse Heath and Gage together, you know, like Star Trek, like you get beamed up, you crystallize both of them and they come together. That's what it means to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That whenever I see Gage, thank you all, when I see Gage, when God sees Gage, he sees Jesus. And when God sees Jesus, he sees Gage. They are one, that you have the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God takes the perfect righteousness of Jesus and gives it to you because of your faith in him. And the cost of that, the price that was paid for you to have the righteousness of Jesus, was that when Jesus died on the cross, that holy God, He crushed the innocent Son of God, Jesus, on the cross. And He crushed Him because of our sin. Isaiah 53 says that it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus. And it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus because of God's love for His creation. And so our infinite guiltiness, our infinite guilt and our sinfulness deserve death. And Jesus on the cross took that death blow and was crushed for us so that whenever we hear the gospel we can respond in faith and when we respond in faith we stand no longer guilty before holy god but we stand justified and fully righteous because god's given us his righteousness not good news that's the that's the gospel message that's what it means to be justified Romans 4, 20-25 says this, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, as is speaking of Abraham, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, what God had promised, that he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Now it was written not for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Christ's own infinite merit becomes the ground on which the believer stands before God. So Christian, this morning, you stand before God, not on your own merit. You stand before a holy God in the righteousness of Jesus. It's the merit with which we stand on. So justification elevates the believer to a realm of full acceptance and and divine privilege in Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of justification, believers are perfectly free from any charge of guilt. I just want to express that to you. This is not an issue of, after I place my faith in Jesus, am I still going to sin? Because we all know we're still going to sin, right? We're still going to do things that, that do not honor God. But once you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your position of Right standing before God is not contingent upon whether you sin or you don't sin. Did you guys follow me? The, the difference, what happens after you become saved, become a Christian, is that now when you do sin, your heart condemns you. Your heart convicts you. And that, 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 that area of sinfulness in your life that used to not bother you, do you know before you were a Christian and, and you used to drink or used to hang out with people you shouldn't ha- hang out with, watch things you, that you shouldn't watch, you're doing all the things that would, that, that would characterize a non-believer, just living a life for yourself, you can't do those things anymore in good conscience because of what Scripture says. Because, because in 2 Corinthians it says that, it says that the old man is dead. And that when you are raised to newness of life, now you have a new nature. So that new nature, that new nature that's justified before God is fully righteous. When you go back to try to step towards the world, what happens? Your heart starts pounding, starts beating. And you have that sense of, wait a minute, something's not right. This is not my home. This is not where I should dwell. This is not my life. That's the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you, that reminds you of the truth of God's Word, reminds you of who you are in Christ Jesus. And that's the battle of the Christian life. That's, that's the Christian life. It's, it's the process of sanctification. So we're first justified by faith alone, through Christ alone. And He's given us His righteousness. And then we begin this journey headed in the, the direction of Christ-likeness. But we make mistakes and sometimes we lean back towards the world and the Holy Spirit pulls us and draws us and convicts us and we mature and we grow and we learn. And that's, that's the Christian life. Anybody experience that? Christian life, I mean, that, that's, that's a part of our journey. So justification doesn't mean that you get justified and then you just go live like the devil. It's impossible for you to do that. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says, How... Shall we continue in sin because grace abounds in our life? And Paul's answer is, God forbid. How can anybody who is dead to sin live any longer in it? So, so we should never have the attitude, because I'm fully righteous before God, that I, I, I'll just go ahead and sin and live how I want to live, and then I'll, I'll go and repent and God will take care of it later. That is never the attitude of a genuine believer. A genuine believer is never comfortable in their sin. They never feel at ease in sinful actions. Actually, you feel tormented. You feel miserable. 
You feel like, I can never stay there. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You, you guys follow me? Because of justification, the believers are perfectly free from any charge of guilt. Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So whenever you're laying in your bed at night and you've made some mistakes, you, you know you're a, a believer in Christ. You've placed your faith in Him, but you've made some mistakes. And the accuser of the brethren, Satan, comes in and he starts telling you, well, may, maybe your faith really wasn't genuine. Maybe you're really not a Christian. Maybe you're not righteous before God. If you place your faith in Jesus and he's giving you his righteousness, Romans 8.33 says, who can bring a charge against you? It is God who justifies. So you can rest in confidence that you belong to God and that all the mess you might still have in your life, that, that you are going to grow in Christ-likeness as you continue Digging into God's Word. As you continue coming and hearing God's Word taught at church. As you continue in relationship with other believers in Christ. You're going to grow in faith. And so, next week, we're, we're going to get into the issue of sanctification. And how it is. And that word sanctification simply means it's, it's a setting apart of our lives unto God on a daily continual basis. To be sanctified, to be set apart to God in in holiness, in right living on a daily basis and being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And and this next week, Brother Freddie Fry is going to come in and teach that lesson. But you can't get to the issue of sanctification, becoming like Christ, until you are first His. And so I just want to encourage you that if you if you have felt guilty before God, if you have struggled with condemnation and feeling like you don't belong to Him, if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Christ alone, apart from good works, the Bible says that you are His, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so you can rest in that confidence. Your salvation is not up for grabs. Like my, like my poor boss, while well, I'm sitting there, former boss, I'm sitting there watching him talk about his state of grace that he's having to, to maintain. He has no assurance of salvation. And I just felt sorry for him. I'm watching him being passionate about talking about this state of grace. And I just have such compassion for him. He lives in this constant sense of not being right before God or having to maintain that righteousness. You know, I, I knew of his life when I worked for him. And he would go to confession multiple times during the day based upon how he lived. And, I, 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 you know, First, First Timothy really deals with that issue of confessing to another man. I mean, last Wednesday, we just read it. There is only one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus, God, the Son of God. There's nobody in a confessional booth. It's God. When we confess our sins, we confess to God because there's only one mediator. I just felt compassion for him. And I feel compassion for anyone who doesn't have an assurance of their salvation. Your salvation is not up for grabs. If you're a genuine believer... You belong to Christ. He is committed to your sanctification. He is committed to you becoming more like Christ. He's committed to you in this process. So you can rest assured and and just say, God, purify me. Work on me. Mature me. Make me more like you. Amen? Any thoughts? Questions? I'm open to... Yes, question. Yeah. It's difficult. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and that's a great thought. You know, we like, just like I said earlier, we like to compare ourselves. So we like to say that even Hitler, would Hitler go to heaven on his deathbed if he confessed Christ? We have a hard time with that because we are about sowing and reaping. We're, we're about this guy deserves hell. And we have a hard time with it because we don't think we do. And that's the bottom line. I don't think I deserve hell because I'm, I'm not as bad as he is. And that, 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 yes. Judging, right. Right, yeah, we, we elevate ourselves. And even before... I'm sure everybody's guilty. I'm guilty of it. Right. You know, when you look at a very bad person, mm-hmm. say Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, the the issue is is that we don't see that who we are apart from Christ. I'm not talking about as Christians, but before we were a Christian. Who we are apart from Christ is no better. And the things that we did that were wrong, you know, us not believing in Jesus as the Son of God is sin against God. But people, won't, people don't see it like that. They say, well, what, what is sin? Sin is lying, stealing, cheating, adultery, murder, killing babies. That's sin. And so that separates you from God. But the ultimate position of sin, the biggest sin you could ever commit, the unpardonable sin, is the only unpardonable sin, is to reject Jesus as God. That's what scripture teaches. That Jesus is the only way to salvation. So you could you could live a halfway good life and never cheat on your wife and never cheat on your taxes and never steal and, and you could be a good person. But if you reject Jesus at the end of your life, you have no better standing than Hitler if Hitler's in hell with you. You have no better standing than anybody, than the guy who kills the babies. You have no better standing. And so that's the issue of judging, is that we, we cannot position ourselves and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit less evil than any of these other guys. No, our, our evil, as good as our evil is polished up, is just as bad as the really ugly, heinous evil that we see people live in. And so the person who, who, who acts out the more developed evil in their heart and does really bad things, and the person who manages their evil and constrains it and makes it look cute and pretty, but is evil, they stand before God in the same position. And God asks one question. What's your standing? How are you going to stand before me? And if the answer is anything other than faith in Jesus Christ, then you can't stand justified before God. Does that answer your question? Thief on the cross. It's a great example. Thief on the cross. You, know, you, you had Jesus surrounded by two men that were guilty. Innocent son of God on the cross. Two men were guilty. One of them was railing against Christ and ridiculing him and mocking him. And the other one, the one who, who ended up justified that day, he looked at the other guy who was guilty, the other thief, and he talks to him and says, what are you doing? We are guilty. We committed a crime and we're getting our due punishment. But this man between us, he's innocent. Don't you have any fear of God? And 
the one who spoke like that looked to Jesus and said, remember me in paradise. Remember me. And so that act of faith that 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 thief had before he died, his dying day, was enough to get him in the right standing before God because he acknowledged who Jesus was. He acknowledged him as an innocent the, the innocent son of God. And so, I, I know our flesh doesn't like that. We like people to pay for their sins. Yeah, I was thinking, God, that um, God is an all-forgiving God. Mm-hmm. Forget that. You know, especially when things get home, you say, one of my loved ones to be murdered by someone, it'll be hard for you to It's hard. And I, and I remember seeing something on TV one day, and it was a true story, and a family member was able to talk to the person that did it, and they yeah. And I think to myself, I got a long way to go. I know, it's hard. Because they, that's a Christian. Mm-hmm. But for me, that would be hard. Mm-hmm. But that shows me that you have a long way to go. And you know what? And that's, you, know, it's a life you, would, you would do it. Yes, I would. You would forgive. I would forgive, but it shows you how far away mm-hmm. you are from that person. Right. Christian. You know, it's a lifelong fight. You would forgive. You know, a, a genuine Christian would forgive. Because it may take a while. You may fight it. And you may have anger for a while. But the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is going to continually remind you of what you've been forgiven of. Yeah. That bitterness. That will kill you. Mm-hmm. That will, I mean, you, you want to get old fast? Hold me in your hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to die eternally fast. Right, yeah. You know, that, I, I've experienced that. Mm-hmm. I, It's good. It's good. Did you have anything that you want to add? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not a it's not a position we ever want to stray very far from. That attitude she was talking about. Just that thankfulness that we are not where we could have been. That God has shown his mercy to us. Because, like she said, the evil is, was in our heart. And we could have went in many different ways, given different circumstances, raised in a different home, different influences. There's no telling where we, we would have been. The potential was there for any of the, any of the actions of the craziest sins out there. That potential is here. But but God. But but for God. Amen. Yeah. It's good. So to answer my question, how can a man how can a man or woman be right before a holy God? What's the answer? By by faith alone, through Christ alone, apart from apart, apart from works. That's how a man or woman can be right before God. That's how they're going to be justified. By faith alone, through Christ alone. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather in the mornings at church for Bible study and for the service. And thank you that you have made it possible, Lord, for us to study your word and to learn and to grow. And God, I just pray that you would take the truths that we've discussed this morning, the powerful truth 
of justification before God through faith in Jesus Christ. Take that truth and seal it in our hearts. And God, remind us day in and day out, God, that we belong to you, that we do have your righteousness. Lord, and help us to mature and to grow. God, as we look into next week, this issue of sanctification, Lord, help us, Lord, to follow after your ways, to follow the, the direction that, 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 that the Holy Spirit is guiding us, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in each and every life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, bro- Brother Freddie will be teaching you next week.